We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady. And Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind of My Money, presented by Pinnacle. I'm Neil McCready. Martin Palomo with me today, as always. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about, um, I think, a topic that both of us are pretty fascinated with. It's breaking today. Elon Musk uh, making a uh, rather significant offer to buy all of Twitter. Uh, as of 10.18 a.m. here on Thursday, April the 14th, there has not been resolution regarding that. So Martin and I will dive into what we think it might mean, what what how it's interesting, what it could do, etc. We'll talk about some other things if we get time as well. Be with you for about 40, 41, 42 minutes or so. That's our plan at least. So uh, thanks for making us a part of your week. I'll tell you very quickly, I'm in the Clark Ford Studios and you can get in touch with Clark Ford at 662. 662- 257-1900 if you're in the market for a vehicle. Recommend you touch base with Corey. It's a weird car market right now, and uh, he'll at least make sure that you're getting a deal that's uh, one you won't regret down the road. And Martin, before we get rolling, tell the people about what's going on at Pinnacle and how they can get in touch with you guys. Yeah, man, we are uh, we are rocking and rolling over here. Uh, we have completed our, our deal <clears throat> with uh, Pinnacle Holding Company. So my, my team bought, uh, paid for, and transferred ownership of uh, Pinnacle Wealth and Pinnacle Insurance um, all on the 31st, you know, April 1st was our first day of of ownership. So, man, it's kind of, uh, it's been a wild ride for the last couple of years. Um, and I'm really excited to be carrying the baton, you know, for the next 25 years, probably more than that, but at least the next 25 since Pinnacle had a first 25. Um, but, you know, other than who uh, pays the light bills now, you know, the nothing much has changed here. We still do things the way we do them uh, before. I still wake up in the mornings and put my socks on and then, you know, one leg into each pant leg to uh, to get here. So nothing changed on that front. So, you know, it's funny. You know, one, People have always said one leg at a time. And ever since I heard that, like they put their pants on the same way we do, I decided yeah, at do that you moment. Do you do leg at a time? 
I decided that from then on I would put my pants on two legs at a time. And do you uh, do it every time? Uh, just about every time. Sometimes I fall and and hurt myself, but uh, I think it's important to not put my pants on exactly the same way that other people do. <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a left leg first, yeah. and then uh, and then my right leg. I don't know why. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, but I had someone ask me a question the other day. They were like, "Do you put your socks?" On? I was chap- uh, chaperoning a band trip for Bella's high school band. They had competition in Gatlinburg uh, last weekend, and one of the band students, I don't know how we were on this conversation, but she asked me. She said do you put your socks on before or after you put your pants on? And I was like, why is that even a question? Do people put their socks on after some people do put their pants on? Some people do. And I had never even, it had never occurred to me that some people might actually put their socks on. I think my son, they put their pants on. I think my son puts his socks and shoes on last, no matter what. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I put my socks on first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I'm wearing shorts, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. But, but yeah, I put my, my socks on before my pants. I have accidentally put my pants on first and had to get socks on. And that, yeah. that can be, that can it's be It's a little bit of a struggle. It can be difficult. Sure. Yeah. All right. Especially like if you have, uh, you know, some really well done jeans from your boys at, you know, at, uh, at Delta blue that, uh, you know, are custom fit. Yeah. Well, well, well tailored, well-made jeans. Um, you know, it's, you, you don't have as much space in there. Yeah. And if you've been like doing your calf work or whatever, and you you got some muscle back there, it's can, it's yeah, it can be difficult. It can, it can be tough actually. And I'm getting my first pair of, uh, of blue jeans from them. They're, they're so excellent. I've been, they're, I've been hearing you guys jeans. talk about it forever and I'm like, I just got, I got to get, I got to get one pair to see what it's all about. They're excellent jeans. All right. Uh, let's get into this. This is, Let's do it. Twitter has been a, a major topic of conversation over the last couple of years, both in the national, excuse me, in the national discourse, politics. A, um, they took the, took away the, the Twitter uh, account from at the time the sitting president of the United States of America, still the former president Donald Trump, not allowed on Twitter. Um, Twitter during COVID was quite controversial in regards to accusations of censorship. Um, what they would call disinformation. Twitter's uh, impact on the 2020 presidential election as it pertained to their uh, refusal to allow a platform for the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop, which has since been proven to be an accurately reported story by the New York Post. So Twitter is... More than just a social media platform, it is kind of a media platform. It is it is a media platform, and maybe maybe the most potentially influential media platform in the world today. I don't I don't know that. I'm, I'm guessing uh, the story from the uh, Wall Street Journal, but you could read the story anywhere. We we try to use the Wall Street Journal, at least I do. I think because I think it's the um, I think it's the most overall. The I think it's the most overall balanced in a in a. Speaking of media platforms, I, I, there's anyway. This the uh, author is George Stahl, S T A H L. He writes: Elon Musk offered to buy the rest of Twitter Incorporated in a deal valuing the social media platform at more than forty three billion dollars, saying he wants to make wants to take the company private to make the changes needed to expand the business. Mister Musk called the bid 
his best and final offer, adding that if his proposal isn't accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. Mr. Musk earlier this year built a position of more than 9% in Twitter, making him the company's largest shareholder. Twitter confirmed it had received Mr. Musk's offer and said its board of directors would review the proposal to determine the course of action that it believes is in the best interest of the company and all its shareholders. The bid adds to a whirlwind 10 days for Twitter and increases the stakes for the company and chief executive Parag Agrawal. On Thursday, Mr. Musk reiterated Twitter's potential to be the platform for free speech, saying the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company, Mr. Musk said in a filing Thursday with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Twitter has extraordinary potential. I will unlock it. According to the filing, Mr. Musk texted Twitter chairman Brett Taylor that he was sending an offer letter and would make it public in the morning. He ended the text stream with, are you available to chat? Mr. Musk, with more than 80 million followers on Twitter, has long been one of the platform's most prominent users and at times one of its most vocal critics. A self-described free speech absolutist, Mr. Musk has publicly encouraged the platform to to allow a wide range of opinions. I am not playing the back-and-forth game, Mr. Musk said in what was described in the filing as a voice script. I have moved straight to the end. Mr. Musk said he would pay, I'm almost to the end here, Martin, uh, said said he would pay $54.20 a share in cash representing what he said was a 54% premium over the day before uh, he began investing in Twitter and a 38% premium over the day before his investment was announced. It's a high price, and your shareholders will love it, he said. Mr. Musk added that Twitter could call his family office with any questions about the offer. The filing said Mr. Musk had hired Morgan Stanley as a financial advisor. Twitter shares closed Wednesday at forty five eighty five per share. In morning trading Thursday, the stock rose two point four percent to forty six dollars and ninety cents over the past year. Twitter shares have traded between thirty one dollars and thirty cents and seventy three dollars and thirty four percent thirty four cents. Given how the stock is trading, the market is pricing in a higher likelihood that the deal is rejected than accepted, said Victoria Scholar, head of investment at Interactive Investor. Mr. Musk said Thursday that he wouldn't that he would consider selling his stake if the deal doesn't work out, given that I don't have confidence in the management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market. Uh, Musk began buying Twitter shares on January 31st when the stock traded at $36.83, according to a filing earlier this month. Those purchases, Martin, continued through April the 1st. So my initial question to you as a financial person is he's offering significantly above market value as of this moment. Uh, Market value is uh, roughly $46 a share. and He's offering an $8.20 per share overvaluation. Yeah, also a premium, uh, like a 20% premium. In in cash. Mm -hmm. If you're on the board of of directors, I guess, at at Twitter, wouldn't wouldn't it be your fiducial responsibility to accept this offer? 
Um, I'm gonna give you a very attorney answer, which is it depends, but I'll I'll explain <clears throat> why I say it depends. So if you're a board member at Twitter, um, you know, and they've had they've had kind of a little bit of a rough go, uh, go at it, but if you're a board member at Twitter and you feel like you've got, you know, the right management team, the right, you know, um, the right plan, the the right strategy going forward and Twitter does have the ability, you know, to be, uh, to generate cash flow. I just don't know that they've taken so much advantage of it. Like, you know, if you look at, compare them to like Facebook or Instagram, you know, they, I don't know that they've, they've exploited the, um, being able to generate as much cash as those guys have. And, but if there's a plan or a strategy to be able to generate more cash flow, whether it be from, you know, advertising or some type of subscription like base, uh, then I think that you can make the case for the future value of Twitter is more than what uh, than what Elon Musk is offering. But on the on the flip side, I think the reason that Elon Musk is going, hey, uh, let me buy this company from you, take it private. So I'm not subject to all of the BS that, you know, you have to deal with with the SEC and, you know, and, and, and other, and other issues. And he's like, I can make this thing more profitable, um, you know, as a private company and I know how to generate cash. And he's saying, you guys are incompetent and don't know how to generate cash. So let me do it. And I think, uh, you know, if you're just looking at cash flow, you know, you got to make the decision of, do you have faith in the current team to, to be able to do that? If you do, I, I think you probably go, no, we're going to pass on this deal. If you don't, then I think it's your fiduciary responsibility to say, hey, this is probably the best price we're ever going to get for this thing. So we need to pull the trigger. And that's just looking at cash flow too, you know, and then there is the human element side of it, right? Is, you know, are, is the staff that you have, um, you know, are they going to be better off or worse off, you know, in a transaction like this? And with with Elon Musk, if he's buying the company, I think you probably make a, this is just my opinion. I think you probably can make the argument that, hey, there's not a quote unquote sister company that kind of looks, acts and quacks like us. So there's not going to be a huge risk of, you know, people getting laid off because there's, you know, there's duplicate roles or, or, you know, there's efficiencies from laying someone off since his other companies are, you know, essentially an automobile manufacturing firm, really a battery manufacturing firm who happens to be in the, in the car business. And then you have, you know, um, a space, uh, company and then a solar power company. I don't know that they could really, you know, lay off half of the staff or more to pick up efficiencies. So I don't think there's a huge risk from a, you know, are there, is there replacement staff members, you know, the cultures might, might clash and that might be where you lose. There might be people that just choose to leave. You know, if they say, Hey, I don't want to work for, for Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go somewhere else. But I think that, that's the bigger risk. That would be regarding their political, listen, cause at the end of the day, right. Let's, let's cut to the chase. At the end of the day, this is about politics. This is about political persuasion. This is about policy. This is not, if this if this is turned down, this is not a rejection that's based on a financial offer. This is a rejection of 
this is a, a rejection of what they believe Musk would do with Twitter, which is obviously what he is saying he would do with Twitter, which is he would open it up. I mean, he says the power of corporations to dictate policy is greatly enhanced if Twitter depends on advertising money to survive. Uh, that was a tweet that it was later deleted uh, on Thursday. He said, as I indicated this weekend, I believe that the company should be private to go through the changes that need to be made. I mean, he, he obviously believes, and I think you and I agree with this philosophically, that what Twitter has done with um, Trump, with the New York Post, with a lot of its COVID stuff is... I think it's society. I think it's, I think it's irresponsible on Twitter's part, frankly. Um, and in the same way that I would feel if they were, if they were not allowing, I just believe in in, in the marketplace of free ideas. I, I always have, and 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 when I back in the day when I really loved Twitter, that's kind of what I felt it was. And now I stay on Twitter for business reasons, and and sometimes I'll have a, a bad. I'll get in a bad mood and, and I'll see something that pisses me off and I'll engage, but I try to do that less than I used to. But to me, I mean, Twitter has Twitter has become a tool of, of, of a political party. And I think Musk is saying that for the for the for the corporation to achieve its maximum potential, it needs to get away from that. Sure. Yeah, you know, and I mean Twitter's a tool of the left right now. I mean, let's just be real. It's a it's a tool of the left. I mean you 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 can see. I mean, we could we could spend far more time than we have with example after example of 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 that happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm not going to argue with you about that because I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, and I, I think that you know the talking about censorship. Um, you know, and and of course everyone had their opinion on that, and um, you know, and I think probably most folks in the South will we'll say that, you know, like Trump was censored because, you know, there was, he was amassing a huge following and people were starting to quote unquote, wake up. Um, and, you know, and, and he didn't care what he said or how he said it. Uh, and then you have, you know, on the, on the left, um, you know, they're saying that he's inciting aggression and warfare and, and I don't, you know, and, and I've seen a lot lately and I haven't followed it real close, but I know that they've been quote unquote prosecuting the, the folks in DC that, you know, that stormed the Capitol. Um, and of course they blame Trump for, for, um, for inciting that, but has he, has he been, was there, was there any illegal action against him during the Capitol riots? Against who? Against Trump. Against Trump. Uh, no, not, not that I've seen. Um, you know, I, I think there's an investigation of Trump that's going on right now in, in uh, federal court in New York um, or federal federal investigators in New York. But I, it, it it's not related to J- the January 6th stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, because that's that, that's when they banned it's, him. It's right? re- yeah, it's it's really. Yeah. Well, they, they banned him. Yeah. January 6th. The 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 criminal investigation into Trump's corporation and Trump himself has to do with with his business his taxes not not anything that he did as president and and then and but that's when they gave him the kibosh on, yes, on twitter yes you know saying that he was inciting 
riots and aggression and violent behavior and um and and to be totally honest and transparent here is I, I don't use Twitter. Um, I suck at it. I haven't ever used it. Uh, I mean, I have a Twitter account, but um, you can go look at my <laughs> at my Twitter account and see there's there's almost no activity on it. So I, I do miss. I did miss a lot of whatever happened with you know what Trump did or didn't say on on Twitter because I wasn't I wasn't following his tweets. It just wasn't my platform. Yeah. Well, I mean, the truth is. Not to, I mean, my opinion at least. I shouldn't say the truth. My opinion is that uh, it's why, and I push back against a lot of Republicans on this. This is probably going to shock some people who listen to me talk about COVID. I blame Trump for losing. I blame Trump, the person, for losing an election. I thought that uh, his handling of social media created such angst and so many enemies and motivated. Um, the Democratic Party to the point that, in my opinion, an incredibly weak candidate running an almost non-existent campaign with a uh, a running mate who made embarrassing gaffe after embarrassing gaffe, he still lost. Um, I blame Trump for that. I I, I do. I I think I look at. Uh, What's coming in 2022 in November, which, uh, you know, I was listening to Bill Maher on Joe Rogan's podcast. So we're talking about Bill Maher and Joe Rogan here, guys. They were doing a podcast as they smoked marijuana, by the way, openly admitting they were smoking marijuana. Um, My point is these are not evangelical uh, Republicans. Um, Bill Maher said that that he expects the Democrats to, to... I can't remember his exact words, but to lose in monumental fashion in November, and all of the polling supports that assertion as well. And so, to me, the the, the Republicans are going into a, a a a cycle in which the only way, Martin, that I see as of today, Thursday, April the fourteenth, twenty twenty two, the only way that I see a Republican not winning the White House in twenty twenty four is if they run Donald Trump. I think if they run Ron DeSantis or Scott or Nikki Haley or just you probably a laundry list of 10 Republican names, and I think they win handedly. If they run Trump, I think Trump motivates the left in a way that would put that in doubt. I think Trump is, um, I think it's been proven and it's happened with Twitter. Trump, Trump is so polarizing. People people love Trump or they hate Trump. Typically, candidates like that don't fare well. So who who do you think is at the top of the ticket right now? You think it's DeSantis to lose? Uh, no, I, I, I as of this moment, I expect the Republicans to screw it up and to nominate Trump. <laughs> I do. I, I, right? You, you know what I really? You, you know what I really think? As of today, what I really think's coming. I think we're going to get the nightmare of nightmares. I think we're going to get Trump and Hillary Clinton. I do. That's, oh what, I, that's what I believe. I, 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 look at, I look at this objectively. I really do. I love politics. If people ask me all the time if you could do one thing over, what would you do? You know, I, I probably would be a lawyer. But if I weren't an attorney and I was in journalism, I would have gone into politics because it's far more interesting than sports, frankly. Um, you look at the, at the Democrats, right? Joe Biden, the president of the United States, 
Look, the story is from Fox News. I'm sorry. I try not to use them as a source. But um, but it's a Quinnipiac poll. and Quinnipiac is not known as some right-wing polling data. Uh, Biden's approval rating, the lowest with Hispanic voters, poll finds. President Biden's approval ratings continue to fall precipitously among Hispanics in the United States. His approval rating among Hispanics down to 26%, according to a recent Quinnipiac poll. His 35% job approval among registered voters, it ties the low that he received in a Quinnipiac poll on January 12th. The bottom line is this, his, his, his approval ratings are so low, and the, when you break it out among demographics, it gets even lower. I don't think they can run him again, and I think they know it, and I don't think they will. So uh, I, I expect that announcement to come. It's going to take some heat off the Democrats after the midterm losses because I expect the midterm losses to be bloody, be massive, bloody for for Democrats. Well, and, and and they usually are. I mean, well, not bloody, but there's usually and usually lose. Yeah, in, usually the other Clinton lost. Turnover. Clinton lost at the midterms. Bush lost at the midterms. Obama lost at the midterms. Trump right. lost at the midterms. But I, yeah. I I think we're going to see a different going to be blood type in the streets. of a different type of loss. It's not going to be a 10-point loss. Where, hey, you know, we played okay. We were in the game. You know, we, we probably need to kind of refocus. I, I, this is going to be like, I think, one of those 37-point losses where you're like, we got our ass kicked. I mean, this is, we have to, we, this, this, we, it's soul-searching time. And, and so I, I anticipate, my guess, is that you'll see the, the Democrats pivot. And I don't think the vice president, her polling data is worse than his. I, yeah. I, I, it's going to be interesting, right? Because the the Democrats have have really gone hard on. Um, I mean, look, you know, Joe Biden committed such a, a, an egregious. This is my opinion, at least. Joe Biden could have nominated Katanji Brown Jackson, and she would have been uh, confirmed. He didn't have to. He, he committed a, a, a playbook error out front, and he did it intentionally by saying he was really only going to consider uh, black females. Why would you say that? You created a scandal where there was no scandal. You could have just nominated her and said, "We, I believe she's the most qualified uh, candidate to be a Supreme Court justice, and she is my, uh, she's my nominee, and she'll go through the process. And the process is always kind of sloppy and nasty and stuff. It always is. But if you have the majority in the Senate, and as of today, the Democrats do, yep. um, you're going to get your, your nominee conferred unless it's a, a disaster. And, uh, and, and, and she, she was fine. She had moments where she didn't do well, and she had moments where she did, and she was confirmed fairly easily. And uh, you, it was predictable. He, he didn't have to do that. But by doing that, it does make me wonder if that is the the way that that party operates right now which is and so you wonder if with the vice president is it her turn does does she get does she get the nomination because it's her turn and they they must nominate a a a, a woman of color who happens to be the sitting vice president and by the time 2024 rolls around given the president's age i mean it's conceivable that she is the president by then yeah and so you wonder does does she get the nomination by default or do the democrats look at what happens in november and say okay well we just lost the house we just lost the senate um there are projections that 
if there's not a political turnaround, that by 2024 they could lose even more seats in the Senate to where they would have fewer than fewer than 40 seats in the Senate, which would allow the Republicans to do a lot uh, in, in, in policy. Do they look at that and go, hey, we got to survive now. We got we got to we got to make a change and, and open it up and have a kind of an open primary where Biden's not the candidate. The vice president's not the candidate. And if that's the case, you know, Hillary Clinton is out there with she's been clearly floating um, flyers, if you will. And, you know, I think she feels like she should have won in 2016. I think a lot of people think she she should have won in 2016 that she run a better campaign late. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was the nomination again. And then on the Republican side, I look at it and I go, hey, there's still this, and all the polling supports this, there is still this massive number of of Republicans, especially the populist wing of the Republican Party that wants Donald Trump back. They believe, and let me be clear, I don't, I'm not saying I believe this. I'm saying they believe that the 2020 election was, was fraudulently stolen and they want vindication in the form of Donald Trump. And if that's what we get, then you know what, Martin, if, if we get Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump again in 2024, we sort of deserve whatever we get. <laughs> we don't deserve Clinton. We don't No, <laughs> you and I've talked about this before. I think, you know, it's, it's this pendulum swing that we do. Um, yeah. and, and at some point we've got to slow the pendulum down a little, because right now the pendulum just swings and swings and swings and, you know, the airline people are like, hey, man, please take away these mask mandates. And they just kind of can't do it, even though all of the, quote, science supports it. Yeah. Doing it. And I this is they just extended it too, just for 15 days. It's it's but it's like we, we, we and that's almost an admission that, yeah, we need to do it. But gosh, if we do it, you know, we really upset our base. It's it's really funny how both parties, I think, are driven by their extreme bases. The Republicans absolutely are, and and the Democrats are too. And there's no denying it anymore. I mean, there, there's just no way. There's no way to to deny what's happening, and and say, well, the Democrats are, are not being run by the radicals right now. I mean, that they, they are. They they very clearly are, and it's killing them at the polls. Which is what Bill Maher said, by the way. So if you don't like me, I don't think anybody's ever going to call Bill Maher a Republican. Bill, no, I, th- I think it's no, safe. No, unless they're unless they're in the middle of smoking some wacky tobacco with them. Yeah, really wacky, and just I mean, trying to crack jokes. And Bill, Bill Maher said that you know that if the Democrats would just run a common sense campaign, they'd probably be shocked at the amount that they would win. But they they yeah. they're not right now, uh, from a policy standpoint, doing anything that's all that commonsensical. And and as he said, they're they're going to pay for it in twenty twenty two because Donald Trump's not on the ballot. In November, this is what's interesting, Martin. I know we were going to go here, but this is what's interesting. In November of 2020, 2022, Donald Trump's not on the ballot. Joe Biden's on the ballot. I mean, in, in reality, you know, you're, you're, you're in, in local races, people are, are not, this is not about Trump. Now, if Trump gets back on literally on the ballot in 2024, then it will be about Trump again. And I don't think Donald Trump can win. But, um, but in 2022, the Democrats are going to have a hard time running a campaign about Trump. They ran a campaign about Trump in 18 at the midterms, obviously in 20 against him. 
in 2022, it's going to be hard to run against a guy that's not been in power for that's two years. There. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you're going to have to run on something else. And if you're running on, you know, trans rights and, and, uh, COVID protocols and masking and things of that nature that are wildly unpopular among uh, voters that they're going to lose in colossal fashion. And they, they seem, they seem dead set on that. Well, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna not shift gears on you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask another question too because we're talking about you know kind of the extremes and stuff, and it, and it relates to politics and it relates to business as well. You know, like so so my beloved Disney, um, who which I don't care about Disney's politics. I'm still gonna go to Disney. I'm still gonna spend my money at Disney, and and I'm gonna enjoy the magic. I don't I don't care if they are trying to groom my four year old or five year old because I control my house. Disney doesn't control. Okay. Control my house. All right. So <clears throat> I just wanted to front end say that as I am not one of those, you know, I'm not a part of the cancel culture that's going to go cancel my Disney plus subscription and sell my Disney vacation club and sure. can- cancel my annual pass. That ain't me. For the record, I'm not going to Disney because it's too hot and I don't want to stand in lines. Go, <laughs> go ahead. It has nothing to do with nothing to do with grooming. That's that's, that's fair. Cause yeah. that's a, you know, that's about, that's your personal choice. Right. right. Anyway, go ahead. It has Sorry. nothing to do with politics. So, you know, Disney was in the news with DeSantis with his bill, um, you know, and it was, and at first there, Disney took no stance in it at all, which is, I think is, is really the right thing for a corporation to do is not, is not get entangled into politics. Right. And especially a company like Disney that has, you know, a, a not only a stockholder base, but a user base that is, that is so diversified because when you're, when you're standing in front of Cindy's castle, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a Republican or Democrat, you're there for, for the magic. And then, you know, and some people are one and dones and their dads are like, hell, I'm never doing that again. I hate the heat and I hate standing in lines. And then there's the crazy people like me that'll go, you know, multiple times a year. And that has nothing to do with politics, but sure. But they did get into the politics, um, you know, with, with DeSantis, with, with this bill in Florida, which, and I'm not going to pretend to know everything about the bill, but, I'm just kind of going back to my, you know, kindergarten through second, third grade time frame. <laughs> yeah. I was learning how to like do my ABCs and basic arithmetic. I'm like learning stuff that I need to learn to, you know, to continue my education. I don't ever recall as a <laughs> kindergartner through third grade that we even talked about what my family looked like at all. And, you know, and I had a very typical, typical, you know, nuclear family at that point, it was, you know, a father and a mother and, you know, a brother and a, and a sister. So, you know, I looked very typical, I guess to say, but I didn't even, I don't ever even remember talking about my family structure at all in school period. Really? That's interesting. Cause I remember asking Mrs. Hawkins, my kindergarten teacher, I remember looking at her and saying, are you gay? And she looked at me. <laughs> Dude, you're being a total sarcastic. She right? looked at she looked at five-year-old Neil and she said, well, you know, it's interesting that you asked that. <laughs> and I said, can you tell me just kind of, no, of course not. I got in trouble in the fifth grade because I didn't want to put an X, I mean, fifth grade, in kindergarten as a five-year-old because I didn't want to put an X through the penguin. I wasn't thinking about sex. I don't, I don't 
And Mrs. Dude, Wilder, I, I'm gonna, my I'm first gonna, grade I'm teacher, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Wilder, I'm 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 pretty sure that at the time she was like 80, and I don't recall ever thinking anything about Mrs. Wilder's sex life. And then in the second grade, <laughs> or even knew what sex was for that matter. Yeah, right. And and in the second grade, Mrs. Terrell, um. I remember I didn't know what having to write lines were and other kids were had were on the on the board to write lines and so I signed up because I thought well that was the cool thing and I found out that writing um I will not talk in class 50 times on the chalkboard was not as fun as it sounded the the first yeah. the first elementary school experience with anything resembling sex I think I was in the third grade. I was in Mrs. Anderson's class, and um, a girl in the class, her name was Kimberly Johnson. Kimberly, if you're listening, I don't know what happened to you, but I hope you're happy, uh, would chase me on the playground and told me that she wanted to kiss me, and I can remember not wanting to get caught but kind of wanting to get caught. And so, yeah, it was that, that, that was probably my first experience with anything along those lines. And so when anybody does this thing about – the whole don't say gay bill or whatever, I think was this my initial thought was, was the bill even necessary? And then, but then secondly, the people who have read the bill, and this is, this is, this is what the Democrats have to know. And I didn't mean to interrupt you and I'm gonna let you continue to tell your anecdote. The people who have read the bill, once they're polled after they read it, approve of the bill. Well, and I haven't read the bill, so I'm not going to say whether I approve or disapprove because I would just be going off of what, you know, bites, sound bites I get off of, off of, uh, you know, any, any type of media source. Sure. But, but I do know that in kindergarten and I'm going to, I'm about to out myself <laughs> and I hope that you guys don't judge me. Um, I did eat crayons in kindergarten. Oh my God. So, you know, wow. that might, uh, that might help explain a little bit of things, but I certainly wasn't thinking about whether I don't. I think my first thought that I had about a teacher that has anything to do even remotely close to even being curious about her marital status yeah, or, uh, or if she was even interested in me was in ninth grade. Yeah. And I don't think that she was, but in my head she was Senorita Dickerson oh. was my Spanish teacher. And, uh, dude, I had the hots for Senorita Dickerson. I don't know if she's still, was she young? She might be listening. I have no idea what her first name even is. Was she young? What was was her? She was young. Oh yeah. She was like 24, 25 years old. Um, I, but I don't even remember if she had a ring on her finger cause I didn't, you weren't looking at her fingers. I didn't, I didn't, I I guess I cared either, but (laughs) you were looking at things besides her fingers. I'm I'm taking it. Yeah. But she, I mean, she dressed very conservatively. She Uh did not, you know, uh, there was a lot left to the imagination because they were, you know, she was never wearing inappropriate clothes or, yeah. or anything. So very conservatively dressed. Um, Do you just like her voice or her eyes or what, what was it about Senorita Dickerson? I don't know. I don't know if it's cause like she kind of felt a little exotic and uh-huh. I maybe felt a little connected to her because yeah. of my like Hispanic background. And she was a white person speaking Spanish. Oh, And I was like, all right, I think I have something in common here with her. Cause like I look white. But then I have a weird last name, and then my dad was Cuban, so it was like it was like two little mutts meeting for the first time. Oh, but nothing yeah. ever came of it. It never, never. No, nothing ever came yeah, of it because it's too bad. Because one, I was super risk averse and like knew that 
uh, and it would have been one, illegal. A, a for twenty-five-year-old is not interested in a fifteen-year-old. That just yeah, well, not you know, not naturally, no. <laughs> yeah, and I was kind of an awkward, weird yeah. kid anyway. I kind of maybe still am a little bit of awkward and weird in some cases, but uh, but yeah, Senorita Dickerson. I think she was only there for like a year, or two years. Yeah, she was the first time and, that uh, you went home and thought about a teacher. Yeah, if you yeah, will. do you remember tan lines from uh, Ted Lasso? <laughs> Yeah. When he's talking about <laughs> you know, the first time he ever saw tan lines, yeah. When when he was this when th- in that episode, yeah. which God bless Ted Lasso, I, I hope I hope season three comes quickly. Um, when we were talking about when he was talking about the you know his teacher, the first time he ever saw tan lines, I immediately went to Senorita Dickerson, even though I never saw her tan lines because she was always very conservatively dressed. But she was she was that first teacher where I was like, man. She's special. Yeah. I can remember like student teachers, but never a teacher teacher. But some of that was, I went to a high school. My mother taught at the school. And so the teachers that were there were her friends. And so that in any, and I don't yeah, know. That might've gotten weird quick. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that. I, but I, I'm, <laughs> I can say with, I can say with 100% certainty that I never, I never like had any thoughts about any of my teachers. Of course, at the time I was, 15 years old, 16 years old. So I was embroiled in um, very heated one rela- one dimensional relationships with yes. Christy Brinkley with yourself. and Kathy Ireland. Oh, yes. Well, dude. Yes, Kathy Ireland. Do you remember Unnecessary Roughness? Yes. That was, uh, I think that was the first time I ever met Kathy Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, she is beautiful. I met her at a Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit. <laughs> issue uh, reveal that came in the mail um, that came in the mail at my house 605 brookwood in ruston yeah that 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 was the beginning of our relationship uh nice we never left the house the two of us yeah and she I would mean, not remember the, she, she would not remember, remember the relationship but i, I remember her <laughs> dude i think uh and and like for for me too is tiffany amber Thiessen. From Saved by the Bell, Kelly yeah. Kapowski. So that's your you're a, a decade younger than me, and so there's yeah. your there's your yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, dude. <laughs> I don't know how we got down that rabbit trail, but <laughs> but, but you know, uh, it, I think we're going back to the whole. You know, businesses really don't need to be in the politics um, because one, it alienates their shareholder base too. So I think there was nothing positive for Disney that could really happen, other than you know they do. And, and, and actually, Jennifer and I were having this conversation, and Jen was like, "Do you think that they very intentionally try to hire out of the, you know, out of the gay community or the LGBT community?" And I said, "You know, I don't know if they do or don't, but a lot of what they provide as a service, you know, at Disney World, like all of the shows. So if you go to any of the like Beauty and the Beast live, uh, a lot of them, you know, the Frozen stuff, a lot of the." entertainment it's just i think you're naturally going to have a skew of of you know uh, the lgbt community is going to be a larger percentage of of entertainers and you know singers and actress and people like that are are going to going to have a larger um population in that area so i think that naturally they're just going to have a larger um employee population that's going to be a part of the lgbt community and um i was like but i don't know if they actually have hiring practices that would target it but they might and 
you know, and I think that's what got the, they, they were upset with, with, um, with Chapek about not getting involved. And then he got involved and really pissed off a lot of his shareholder base too. And, you know, and if, if the shareholders all just, if, you know, 25% of them decide, Hey, you know what? Screw this. I'm selling my Disney stock <clears throat> and they all sell at one time. I mean, that's not going to have anything to do with the cash flows of the business, but the price of that stock is going to go down. And I'm sure he's judged by, you know, stock price as a piece of his yeah, which compensation is, package. It kind of full circle. It's his fiduciary responsibility to try to keep the value of that stock as high as possible. Yeah. And, you know, in business, especially when you're a public company, if you're running it, and this sounds awful and I don't mean it to be flipping at all, but your first duty is to your shareholders. Yes. And I know that sounds, people will be like, oh, the first duty should be to the staff. It's, But it's not. The staff doesn't have a financial interest at stake. Yeah, they have a paycheck, but they are not owners. Some of them might be, but generally speaking, to your shareholder base. All um, right, dude. Sorry, we hit a rabbit trail. Yeah. Uh, no, you got to go. I do too. You've got a meeting. I've got football practice. So yep. um, we've got to move on to our, our real lives. It's good talking to you. Uh, we'll keep up with this. We'll be back next Thursday. At least that's the plan. Another edition of uh, Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle. Don't forget mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N wealth.com. For Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. Have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.